not going to be about percentages, really and truthfully. This is going to be a study of the scripture. Uh, and, and really, at the end of the day, this is between you and the Lord. It is not between you and the church. It is not between you and another member of the congregation or you and me. It is between you and God. And you need to pray about these concepts. You hear, th you hear me talk about these things, and what I would suggest is that everything that I say to you is you pray about it. You ask the, Lord, the Holy Spirit and the Lord to anoint those words and confirm it in your heart if what I'm saying is biblical, if what I'm saying is meant for you. And I believe at the end, if you do that, you will know exactly what God wants you to do. In preparation for this today, I did a little bit of research and I found a couple of astonishing statistics. Number one, the Barma Foundation, the Barna Foundation, you're familiar with them. They do research uh, on religious issues all around the world and in America. And they did a recent survey to see what percentage of church-going people in America tithe. 3%. Then they did a survey to see what those Christians who call themselves born again tithe. Six percent. I frankly was surprised. I really was. And perhaps it's because of the fault of the churches, that they don't preach it, that they don't teach it, that people are turned off perhaps as to how they hear it. Uh, I can't give you an, an understanding of an analysis of why those numbers is as low as they are, but uh, I want to talk to you first about my own experience, because a lot of what I, I speak, what the Lord puts on my heart, comes from my own personal experience as a child. Now, you know, I was raised in a godly family. My father was a minister. Uh, my mother, when she married my father, said to him that she wanted to carry his Bible the rest of, the, of her life. And so they were singularly devoted to serving God. And so from the earliest days in that house, I can tell you from the time I was three or four, if someone would give me a dollar as a birthday present, and believe me, we didn't have much money. If I got a dollar, I would take 10 cents of that dollar and put it in a box. If I got $5, the same thing, 50 cents. Whatever I got, if it were $10, I would take a dollar. I would do these lessons, and I, that was drilled into me from the earliest days. Um, and that always became the Lord's money. This is the Lord's money box. And you got that, and you understood the essence of what was ownership by God. And one of the things that I think we need to come to terms with is uh, what God expects from us and what does God own. After I got married, uh, Linda and I were married just about a year. It was the early 1970s. Uh, and we moved into a, a town in New Jersey that had just been declared, I'm, I'm smiling, it had just been declared the safest city in America. <laughs> it's hard to believe that any city in New Jersey could win that. But this city, uh, based on some crime statistical study, had been named, it was Nutley, New Jersey, it had been called the safest city in America. I'm not making this story up, all right? I'm in church. How could I, you know? And within, and we're there, and within a short time of us moving there, we go to church on a Friday night, 
which is another issue why <laughs> we were being tempted. We went to church on a Friday night, and when we came back from church, the house was robbed. <laughs> the house was robbed. Now, let's not talk about the temptation issues. You went out to church, you see. You know, well, I'm not talking about that. But the house was robbed, and it looked like a hurricane went through the house. Everything ripped apart. Even the light fixtures from the ceiling were taken down. It was unbelievable. The light fixtures from the ceiling. Beds pulled apart. But we had a desk in the middle of the house, and in the drawer of that desk, we put our tithe money from our money from when we worked whatever it was we put our money in that drawer do you know that that drawer was untouched <laughs> I can't explain it that's a fact that drawer was untouched television stereos out I mean light fixtures out God's drawer untouched now I can't explain it I can't explain it but the point of it is, is that in, this is in God's understanding and God's domain. You understand when there are certain things that we commit to God, what it means. And, and one of the other things that I could tell you as a lesson to you is that, you know, I've talked to you before about how I was raised. I was raised in a poor family. My dad committed everything in his life to serving God. That meant in order to serve God and be a pastor of a church that was about 100 people, 125 people in a poor industrial area, in order to do that, uh, my parents lived in effectively a one-family house that became a two-family house. It was never really meant. It couldn't be, you really wouldn't be able to live in it as a one-family house. Nobody here really would do that except my father or mother. And what they did is they slept in the dining room. My sister slept in the one bedroom, and I slept till I was 17 years old in the kitchen on a day bed. That's how I lived till I was 17 years old. Meanwhile, they're serving God. They're committing to God. They're doing what God asks. And so, and so what can I say? I, I went through college. My sister went through college. I went through law school. I'm here in Naples, okay? You know the story. It's, I mean, you see the hand of God reaching out and blessing more and more and more than you could ever possibly expect, okay? And each one of you have that story in your lives. Look, I was touched by that film that we saw. Those poor people in Africa, do you ever stop and realize that but for the accident of birth, that could be you? Do you ever stop to say, dear God, thank you for making me be born in America? Thank you because my forebears came here to America, that I'm in this country? And you look at these people, it breaks your heart. You understand what we're dealing with. I mean, what the blessings of God are in our lives that we never stop to consider. And we're talking here about 10% is God's money. And wow, I'm just, wow, you don't, I don't think I can. That's hard. Let me tell you, folks, when you come to understand Jesus in your life, here's the deal. It's all his. It's his. 100%. It's his. And, what, and he's given it all to you. And if he asks you in faithfulness, in faithfulness to give some of it back, would you deny him that? This isn't about a church. This is about your relationship with God. 
I mean, I want to make this clear. All right? When I'm speaking to you now, I'm not talking about any issue about the church. I'm talking about your relationship with God, understanding what's right with, between you and God. And so this is what this is about, an, a recognition of the fact that he has given you everything you have in your life. And that includes not merely the, the possessions that you have and the income that you have and the professions that you have. It includes the family relationships that you have. And again, I, call, I come back to my early uh, beginnings at home when I graduated from law school and I had my own firm the first five years or so before we got really crazily busy. I would three times a week stop and see my parents and have breakfast with them before I went to work. And during those far, first five years, I would, I would always tell them about this new event and this new case, and I won this case, and I won that case, and this is happening, and this is, you know, these are my parents. They wanted to hear what was going on. I, could, I, could, I would tell them these things, and every time I would talk about some new issue in my life that was going well, my mother would go, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Finally, I would be irritated. I mean, I said, you know, really. I said, Ma. Yes, I thank God, but don't you realize I'm killing myself? I'm killing myself. Do you have any idea how hard it is for me to go out and win these cases? Do you know what I'm doing? Yes, I'm thanking God, but it's, I'm out there. You don't seem to understand. I'm bleeding. And my, my father would say, yes, but what you don't understand is God gave you the intellect. God gave you the talent. God gave you the health. The health. That's right, brother. He gave you the health because he gave you the ability to take your intellect, take your talent, and with the health, he gave you this, and then he gave you the opportunity. And you know what? Yes, you use those things because you gave it back to him, but he gave it to you. And you know what? When they spoke like that to me, I have to say I was convicted. I was convicted. And so, I mean, to me, this whole topic, this whole topic sometimes gets bogged down in what I call minutia, legal minutia. All right? People go to me, well, brother, is it the gross or the net? Who cares? <laughs> Honestly, who cares whether it's the gross or the net? Because you know what? When you come to this topic with love, here's what you got to say, Lord, it's all yours. It's not 10. It's not 10. If it's 10% that the Jews are doing, that the Pharisees are doing, who lived under the old law, how much more for me under grace. My wife this week, this week was with one of her dearest friends, is a very devout Jewish gal who came down and visited her. She told, Linda told her, John's going to be teaching tithing. She said to her, oh, we tithe. You know, religious Jews tithe. So if religious Jews are tithing, how much more, how much more brothers and sisters? How much more? So the point of this is not to get stuck in the minutia of the law, but rather to focus, really, rather to focus on the big picture that it's all his. And that when we focus on it's all his, then here's, here's my life. Jesus, you've given me everything. I want to give you everything I possibly can back. Not just my money, not just my resources, but my talents and my time. Amen? I mean, that's, that's the lesson. That is the lesson. So in God's overall plan, in his overall plan, he's expecting you 
to give back out of love what he's given to you. Why? Well, he wants you to give it back because he's going to plow it back into the kingdom. That's what he plans to do. And by the way, here's the other mistake you make. Well, you know, you think, well, if I don't give God my buck, then God's going to be short a buck. Oh, folks, don't ever go down that. Don't ever go down that. He owns a million cattle on a million hills, okay? Just thank God that you have the privilege, the privilege to be a part of that, the privilege to be a part of it. That's what this is about, recognizing what God wants of your life and how your life is going to be blessed. And so let's go back and let's take a look Let's go take a look at the lessons from the Bible. What does God tell us about? What are the lessons that we relate to? And the very earliest mention of the issue of giving back and tithing preceded the law. It preceded Moses. It preceded the Ten Commandments. It started with Abraham. And do you remember the episode when Lot was taken prisoner outside of Sodom? When those other kings came in and ransacked the area, took all of the possessions, took everybody in that area prisoner, and Abraham took his men, his mighty men of valor. 328 men. Can you imagine how God had blessed Abraham? Can you imagine? He took 328 of his men, turned it into an army, went out after them, defeated those kings, and now he's in possession of everything that they had taken, all, all of the goods and loot that they had received. And so here he is at this very moment when he could be filled with pride. Oh, look how good I am. Look how mighty I am. I'm like a country. I'm better than a king. I did what the other kings could not. Oh, really? And God had a message for him. And if you turn to Genesis chapter 14, right somebody said Melchizedek you got it right Genesis chapter 14 verse 17 after Abram returned from defeating Ketolomeir and the kings allied with him the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva that is in Kings Valley then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem is modern Judea, okay? Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He brought out bread and wine. He brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Oh my, this is communion. Melchizedek, the priest, is going to Abraham at this moment of triumph when he could be filled with pride and having communion with him. And it says in Hebrews about Melchizedek, he had neither mother nor father. What are you telling me, Brother John? He had neither mother nor father. You're dealing with what many commentators refer to as the, possibly a Christophany meaning an early representation of Jesus Christ. Certainly a high priest. Certainly a, a man who was emblematic of Jesus to come at this moment that he's sharing communion, communion with Abram. 
He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. In other words, Abram, remember your God. He blessed you. It's like my mother. Thank God. Right? And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Oh my. He gave him a tenth of everything. Do you understand what's going on here? It's the first time you see the definition of a tenth coming into place. Abram being fed through bread and wine, communion with Melchizedek, a religious worship experience. Abram responding to God speaking to him, representing the priest class, gives him a tenth of, the, of what he had. It's a very powerful moment. And we know that, that Jesus really is a priest forever, forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews says that. And so, uh, figuratively, Abram is the direct ancestor of the Levites, those parts of, of the Jewish people who became effectively the tribe devoted to the priesthood. So, in its very first representation, what you have here is the Old Testament, prior to the law, tithes being given to the priestly class representing Jesus Christ. And we will take this and demonstrate it further. Now, moving forward in time, uh, we're going to see what Moses says in relationship to the rules that God gave the Jewish people. How are they to live? How are they to operate? Uh, and we can see that if we turn to Le uh, Leviticus, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? Leviticus chapter 27. Verse 30. This is excep exceptionally sobering to me. And it's exceptionally sobering to me because what I'm reading here is the Old Covenant and God speaking to the Jewish people under the Old Covenant. And you know that through grace and Jesus Christ, we are above the Old Covenant. All right? Meaning, we're held even to a higher standard a spiritual standard. And I want you to see what God said he expected from the Jewish people. This comes right off Mount Sinai. Verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. Do you understand what that, what that means? In other words, if I had a crop and I go, hmm, that's a, you know what, I think I want to hold on to that portion, that tenth portion under the rules. You could, but now 
you have to pay not just the tenth, but a fifth more. You understand? You see the rules of God? That's God's property. Yes, you could redeem it. Here's what it costs. Here's the value of God's property. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. You see it? Holy. Every tenth animal, holy. Holy to the Lord. It's the Lord's. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. Now, you understand why that's up. Because you know. Let's put yourself there. You got the flock. You got a sheep that's a little lame, right? He's wobbling. Oh, please take care of God's sheep. Come on. You know you're there. You understand that. It's a natural human inclination. That's God's sheep. It's right the story I remember. Uh, about the kid who was going to Sunday school. His parents gave him two nickels. Here's a nickel for you to go to the soda fountain, and here's a nickel for church. And the kid's on his way, and on his way he trips and falls, and one of the nickels falls out, rolls along the sidewalk into the sewer, and the kid turns up, looks at God, and said, Oh, God, I'm sorry. Your nickel just went into the sewer. <laughs> Your nickel just went into the sewer. Okay? Oh, God, he understood exactly where you're going from. He knew. That's why he said, oh, and don't, and don't give me the weak sheep, the hobble sheep. Don't give me that. We must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. What happens if you do make a substitution? Oh, we even have a rule for that. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. Do you realize the seriousness of this? If you're going to then make a substitute, that's fine. Then, then the substitute and the animal that, that originally were picked are God's. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the Israelites. This is an unbelievably, unbelievably serious passage. Uh, and <laughs> there's one that's even more severe. Uh, and we're going to discuss it in length, but right now, just very briefly, if you would, turn to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. I hear some people already knowing what this one says. These are not easy things to speak about, okay? I'm not a television evangelist, okay? I'm not telling you, send me a dollar, you're going to get a thousand back okay this is not what this is about okay this is not about that this is about understanding your relationship with God what you have to do with God how God expects you to be to bless him yes brother yes that's right hey brother was right he says it is the only place where God tells you to test him that's true God lays it on the line on this God lays it on the line. So if you got Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. 
There's more to read in that. I'm going to do in the next session. But the point of it is this. You see the seriousness of what we're dealing with. It's as if you have to understand that it's not your property. It's God's. Okay? It's God's. God has given it to you. And so you have this relationship with God in which God enters a covenant with you in which he, he promises to protect you and to be with you and to, uh, and to sustain you. And when I study this, one of the verses that comes to my mind about what, what God tells us in terms of these issues is in Matthew. Because here's the thing. People say to me, oh, Brother John, I'm just barely getting by. I'm just barely getting by. I can't afford to give anything to God. I can't afford to, to, to do anything like that. And you know what? That's not between you and me or between you and the church. It's between you and God. But I want to give you something to reflect upon. I'd like you to read Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? In other words, folks, yes, you work. Yes, you save. Yes, you study. Yes, you go to school. Yes, you're diligent with what God has given you. Yes, he's given you gifts. You use your gifts. But here's the point. He's got you covered. All right? You're worried about giving him something back that's his to start with. I mean, think about it. And instead, understanding that this is this relationship, this love relationship, where when you have somebody you love, whether it's your wife or your kids, you have somebody you love, you know it. You, you don't think in terms of an allowance, you think in terms of everything. Whatever I have, I love you. I'll give you everything that I can. And this is the relationship we have to understand that God wants from us. This love relationship. Because what he's saying to me is this. I love you. I, I, I have you in the palm of my hands. Not a hair of your head is going to fall. You don't have to worry about what tomorrow is going to be. Yes, does that mean I'm going to have a big bank account? No. Does it mean I'm going to drive a big car? No. Does it mean I'm going to live in a big house? No, but you want to know something? Whatever God determines I need, I'll have. And I will be blessed not just materially. I will be blessed relational, with relations. And I will be blessed spiritually. Okay? In other words, all of these blessings are going to come when I understand what the promise of God is. And, and you know... I would, I'd like you to understand even further what Paul, St. Paul says about this. If you turn to Romans chapter 8. 
I know I've got you busy looking at Bible verses today, but when you go home, here's what you're going to say. This isn't Brother John's words. This isn't Brother John's words. Romans chapter 8, possibly one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. I would commend you to read this chapter, study this chapter, memorize many verses from this chapter. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Amen? Amen. Oh, please. We're worried about, we're worried about pennies. He's got you covered for eternity. All right? So here's the point. Here is the point of what this is about. It's understanding this love relationship and what he expects from us, what he, what he wants from us, and what he, what he needs us to do. And, and one of the things, one of the things uh, about this, the practical aspects about this, is that when you give God back what God already owns, Here's what it does. It takes away the sting and poison of the money. Now, what do you mean by that, Brother John? What do you mean the sting and poison of the money? Well, here's what happens. You know what happens. You get tied up in, in putting this together and start earning money and putting money together and building an empire, whatever, however you define your empire. It could be a small one or a big one. But you understand. And now you get very possessive. It's mine. This is mine. This is mine. And it's all about this, gathering it in, bringing it in. When you take, when you realize in, in every day of your life that a portion of that is God's, and you take it and you give it back to God, you've removed the sting of the money. You've removed the very poison of the money, the very greed that's just part of being a human being. You've taken that greed and you re removed it. And, and it's, it's just unbelievable what, what that does. Now, I've taken you through the Old Testament. There are more verses. I've eliminated some of them. I just wanted to make my point. What does Jesus say? Okay? What does Jesus say about tithing? Because then that's, obviously, that's the trump card. You could say, well, brother, I understand You've given me a good pretext, a good legal pretext. You've made your case, right? You've made your case, brother. But what about Jesus? Because after all, we're in the new covenant. We are in the new covenant. We're under grace. We are superior. We are superior. Well, let's take a look at what Jesus says. Turn, if you would, to Matthew 23. Verse 23. Matthew 23, verse 23. Okay? Jesus speaking. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Do you understand what he's talking about here? 
these people were so fastidious of, of, of tithing that they would even take their table spices. Their table spices. A tenth. A tenth. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice. Mercy. And faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Oh, Jesus. What are you saying to me, Jesus? Here's what I'm saying. You're so tied up with dividing up the spices on your table, you are unfaithful. You are unjust. And you are merciless. You should have been faithful. You should have been just. You should have had mercy. And you still should have tithed. That's what he's saying. You still should have tithed. So now Jesus pronounces that very verdict. And so, really, when you see that the Pharisees and scribes themselves did this, how much more does God look for us? How much more when God has given us the gift of salvation, of eternal life, how much more do we have to thank God every day for the gifts that he's given us, to walk in this walk that he's given us? and to have an understanding of, of, of what God expects. And so here's the thing. Tithing is central to worship. You see it in the Bible. You see it here. It was a worship experience. Abraham, as he worshipped God through Melchizedek, through the act of communion, understood that tithing was central to that worship. Make no mistake about this, folks. This is not about you and the church okay this is not about you and fundraising this is not about you and the debt that the church may have that's irrelevant this lesson is about you and God this is critical you and God and what God expects from you in your walk you have to go and pray about it. This isn't easy for me to speak about these kinds of things. I'd love to be able to come up here and, and tell you God loves you. Okay? God loves you. We're all going to heaven. Okay? But this is a lesson that needs to be taught. And I'm, a, I'm afraid in America this lesson is not understood. This is not about some televangelist telling you you need to send me 10 bucks and God is going to give you a new car that week. I mean, I had, unfortunately, I had a driver that worked for me, uh, a dear man, humble man, who got sucked into this and was convinced that if he sent a certain amount of money into television, God would give him a new car. I mean, God forbid, God forbid that we, we speak like that. This is not about that. This is the most holy of holy things. When the Bible speaks about the fact that God looks at it as holy. What it is, is God looks and says, that's mine. Let me see if you will honor it that way. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you give us the privilege to come together each week and study your word. Lord, this is a difficult topic. I would ask that your words, Lord, be reflected upon and prayed upon and be studied, Lord.
that the Holy Spirit would confirm this message into our hearts. That during this week, we, we think about it and we pray about it and that we get the confirmation from you, Lord. Because God, at the end of the day, we know, we know that we are all yours. Whatever we have, all of our property, all of our talents, everything we are, everything we hope to be is all yours, Jesus. Help us to be mindful. Help us to be humble. Heavenly Father, protect these dear people. Bring them back next week so that we can continue to study of the word. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.